Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Seven, everybody. 87th time we're welcoming people to listen to us. When a star was born, he was there for it. Chris Christofferson is 87. Dang. Oh, and he, right. he, good for him. Legend. Legend Chris Christofferson. I think he was also in Blade. Oh, he may have been. I think Chris Christofferson <laughs> was in Blade. Nice. Yeah. I nice. had a weird crush on him when i would watch reruns of mash with my grandfather when i was a kid alan alda is 87 that's cool you and kevin's I, I, mother I, yeah i was gonna say <laughs> i probably to felt claims for the weekends through the entire shoot of mash he would fly back home to the east coast to be with his wife and family Oh, that's precious. Because I have Alan Alda facts. That's mainly the one Alan Alda fact that I have, but I've got Uh, it. You have Alda facts. Ah! Pun king. Pun king! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you know what? As punishment for that, Woody Allen's also 87. Oh, why? Why must you punish us? Well, I'll, I'll bring it back to neutral... For Phil Donahue, talk show host of the 80s. Arguably. 87. Marlo Thomas's husband. Marlo Thomas's husband. Whoa, that's weird. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Bruce Dern, father of Laura Dern, 87. Okay. I love Laura Dern. (laughs) Didn't know he was alive. And we are going to end with a bang. The hills are alive with the sound of Julie oh, Andrews being yay! 87. The That's... Queen of Genovia herself. Yes, the Victor- Queen of Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> yay. It's not a bad list. It was, that was not a bad list. No, it I wasn't. think that was an okay list. Yeah. I have yeah. a good feeling about this episode. It's 87 time. Kevin, Kevin, you're on vacation. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. You well, are I, laying back, relaxing. Y'all, I'm looking at him. He's in a new place. He's got his arm behind his head. He's he's chilling. Stacks I am of on pillows. vacation. A pillow princess. Pillow princess. <laughs> princess in the pea. Pillow. That's me. I feel mm-hmm. 87 just because we walked a lot yesterday. And mm-hmm. the day before that, I had to carry I'll luggage. So I feel... Rundown. <laughs> I feel 87. You got a miss special. <laughs> but I'm at the beach right now, folks. I am at the gayest town that the state of Delaware allows, and that is mm-hmm. Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And they allow and it. 
They'll allow, they allow it. it. Yeah. They shall allow it. And we've yeah. been coming here, Big Library and I, Raven, Richie. my dog, she's in the mix. Raven. Gotta have Her job Raven. all week is just beach. And Oh, God. That's so, does she love job it? job is beach. And she won't actually be on a beach, mind you, folks, because oh. this dog does not do hot. Sand. And sand. That's right. I didn't even no. think about that. Walking Water. to the beach. Okay. She doesn't want to do okay. any of that. No. Uh-uh. No. She wants to just relax Take and sniff the, the sea air from a comfortable distance. Truly. And she does. And it's very adorable. So I'm very happy that she's <laughs> also here. And yeah, we're, we are at the beach for a week. We made it a beach week. Congrats. You deserve are it. Are you going to need a vacation from your vacation? Oh, it sounds probably. like it. He's already because I had to schlep everything here. Up. We'll have to schlep everything back. So I'm anticipating. Yeah, yeah. you got to take You're a good. buffer day or two off work for whenever you try and get back from something. I mean, yes. Oh yeah. And I have already after 27. I needed at least one day after I went away. Minimum one day. <laughs> but yeah, that was my. That's that's what I've been doing. I'm just vibing this week. Uh, Edie, have you gotten up to anything fun this past week? Well, in answer to your question, let me read a series of texts that I sent our co-host and friend, Miss, last (laughs) night. She was real-timing me. (laughs) I was live texting because Uh Mr. Fake Name was at a friend's house watching Firefly. And like playing I'm video jealous. games. I know it's very. It was very cute. He had a bro date with a bro, oh, and so thing. Uncle Edie had the house to themselves. And so I watched Red, White, and Royal Blue. It was fine. <laughs> the title makes me furious. I think the title is terrible. But mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. live texted Miss. Okay, eight forty nine p.m. <laughs> Gonna text you through this movie. They just got cake everywhere. Uh-oh, now credits. 8.49 p.m. Uma Thurman has a southern accent. I'm 100% in. 8.50 p.m. I'm sorry, President Uma Thurman. That's right. I haven't watched it, uh, but I would love if she were to have characterized being president the same as when she was Poison Ivy. <laughs> that would have been fucking incredible. President Poison Ivy. Um, okay, 857. Uh-oh, these enemies are trapped together in a closet. 904. Wait, is this one supposed to be in college? Dude is fully in his 30s. 943. That's a hell of a green screen at the quote DNC unquote. And finally, 946. We've got buns, hun, because they show some buns. We had some buns. I will say oh, that was good. It was reasonably cute. It was reasonably cute. It was a passable rom-com. It really gave me 1998. It gave me 1999. Yep. yep. That's what I, that's how <laughs> I that explained it. Is that when it took it. place? No, no it's modern it's day. now. But it's like, think of like rom-coms from the 90s where they were so tropey and like so you knew exactly what was coming. You knew exactly how it was going to end. And, and not even in a bad way. I don't mean that negatively. It's just like classic, tip-top, improbable predictable rom-com recommend very how to lose a guy in 10 days very the prince in Mm -hmm. me very i think first daughter whatever one where katie holmes was the president's daughter that was a bad one but yeah miss what'd you get up to 
Um, I had a busy weekend, actually. Well, not really. Not for normal people, but for me. On Saturday, I went to Philly, hung out with Amanda. And while I was there, we did watch Red, White, and Royal Blue. Mm-hmm. And then we crafted as the crafty lesbians we are. And uh, no, Uncle Edie. Kind of I'm doing a scissor. I'm doing kind of I'm doing crafts? scissoring hands, yeah, you are. listener, yes. because I'm 12 years old. We got falafel for dins. And then yesterday we went and we celebrated mom of the pod, Miss Nene. Is, I won't say her age because she will be very mad at me, but it was a oh, big birthday. She's 34. She is 34. Me too. Same age as me. Isn't that weird? Twin mom. Life happens <laughs> like that sometimes. It it moves life happens like at the life. speed of life. <laughs> but yeah, that was freaking lovely to see everyone. And uh, she's officially, as of today, we're recording on a Monday this week. She is officially moved to North Carolina. So, congratulations. Podcast mom. mom. Bon voyage. She's getting her big old pool. She's very excited. Wonderful. And happy birthday. Yeah. Well, let's celebrate Mom of the Pod's birthday. I'm celebrating by... uh, Doing nothing. Max and relaxing. <laughs> Chilling all cool. Chilling out. Laughing, reacting, entertaining <laughs> the people. One taint at a time. One, One taint, taint at a time. At a- You've got to. You've got to take it slow. One taint <laughs> at a time. Can't overexert yourself. <laughs> Who's got a true crime story for me today? I do. That would be Miss. That's me. Y'all ready? Absolutely. Y'all ready for this? Yes, I'm ready for this. It's no Space Jam, but it is going to be interesting. In 1960, Mildred Lindquist, 50, Lillian Oding, 50, and Frances Murphy, 47, she was the young one, were close friends living in affluent Riverside, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. Hmm. All three of them ran in the same social circles. Their husbands were very successful businessmen. And all three families attended the Riverside Presbyterian Church. Now, Lillian had spent the last months since winter. We're in March, so winter. Mm -hmm. Or we will be in March. Um... Nursing her husband back to health after he had a serious heart attack and she needed a break. So, along with Mildred and Francis, they planned a four day trip of hiking and bird watching at Starfrock State Park in Illinois, about 90 miles away from Riverside. Mm-hmm. Okay. All nice right. Journey. This is, this is giving, it's giving middle aged Heathers so far. But it's not. Yeah, I can actually, as I was reading it, I was like, did I set this up wrong? Because it's not that, unfortunately. Not that? Yeah, I, no. I have no. Nobody's drinking Drano yet. in this story? No, no, unfortunately well, not. Fine. Everyone I'll loses in this story. It. I'll still accept it. Okay, hiking and bird watching. I could never, mm-hmm. but have fun, ladies. As long as it's not like the incline is low, I could actually do it if it was like for an hour. Oh, yeah. I couldn't plan a four-day trip. I'm not going outside. Show me a picture of a bird. Show me a picture of a juicy city. I don't need it. Um, So, 
the ladies who, based on absolutely nothing, I have decided are a lot of fucking fun. Um, I'm imagining cocktails and dresses and cigarettes and 1960s office parties and all of it. But anyway, they drove the 90 miles from Riverside on March 14th, 1960, with Francis at the wheel of her big old gray station wagon. <laughs> Francis, take the wheel. Francis, take the Francis, wheel. Francis, take the wheel. So Starved Rock State Park, let's get a little into that for a minute, is in north central Illinois in LaSalle County along the bank of the Illinois River and is approximately 2,600 acres. Before colonization, the area was home to various indigenous peoples, but mainly the Kaskia. After centuries of colonization and genocide and the, quote, beaver wars, many Eastern indigenous tribes were forced westward. Now, there is no consensus on how Starved Rock came to be named, but there are a few legends. And the most- Starved Rock. Starved Rock was hungry. The rock didn't get anything. No, the rock was fed. If you smell what the rock is cooking, he's cooking for others (laughs) as he is starved. Oh my God. It's like my mother, my mother will cook- (laughs) So I'm much stuff for that. everybody else. And then she'll be like, we'll be like, Ma, why don't you like, I'll make a plate for you. She goes, no, no, I can't. I'll just, I, 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 I can't I cook couldn't. what I eat. <laughs> I can't eat what I cook. Is what How did says. you survive then your entire life? I don't life. know. But she does a huge show of doing lots of cooking, will not let anybody help, will huff and puff the whole way and then refuse to eat it. For so you're maximum, saying she's a mother? Maximum pity points. Yes. Maximum. maximum. Mm-hmm. In 1890, Ferdinand Walther purchased the land that is now Starved Rock State Park for $15,000 and decided to develop it as a little resort. He built the Starved Rock Hotel and a natural pool at the base of the rock. And he also constructed a dance hall, a concession stand, and a boathouse for trips along the Illinois River for guests. And importantly, he set up a series of winding walkable trails Despite all of this, the business was not economically successful, and he sold the land for one hundred and forty-six thousand dollars in nineteen eleven, oh, which is just wow. an insane amount of money. He sold it to the state um, of Illinois, and then so Starve Rock State Park was officially opened in nineteen twelve. Now, our gals. We're here. We're, it's not the Star of Rock Hotel anymore. We're, we are at the Star of Rock Lodge, okay? A little woody. It's a little mm. more rustic. Like a bit of a glamping situation. Yeah, well, like the, it's the like cabin. a it's We're at the lodge. Hotel. It's like a motel kind of situation, I okay, think. Okay, okay. After they checked in, they dropped off their luggage in the two rooms that they booked to share and went to the lodge for lunch. Now, following lunch... An employee reported later that one of the ladies told him it was a beautiful day for a hike. This was the last time Mildred, Lillian, and Francis were seen alive. Oh, yeah. That's sadder than a Heather's situation. Yeah. That's why I was like, everyone listens in this story. Yeah. Also, if I could just address the beautiful day for a hike situation, this was March in Illinois. And it was fucking cold. Oh. And there was tons of snow on the ground. Oh, snow? Oh, so no. that's like yeah. 
There yeah. are pictures. Potentially sketchy to say that it was a beautiful day for no, a hike. Well, they were definitely out there and there's pictures and they were definitely having a good time. This is more my personal opinion. They said, there. I saw, I've seen the pictures and all the sources are like, there was a dusting of snow. But if you look, there are inches and inches of snow on the ground. So maybe there was just like a dusting the night before and like on top of existing snow. But you can see how much fun they're having in these pictures. It's really Aww. sweet. They're just posing for pictures in their cute little outfits. Like they got their winter coats on. Fine. But these ladies are wearing like just below the knee length dresses or skirts, low rubber boots and scarves around their head. And they oh, are hiking. 1960 is a hell of a time. I mean, yeah. it's adorable. They were you all had adorable. to be glamorous in 1960. And they were wearing just like these little rubber boots. And I'm like, ladies, I get it. But why don't we why don't we put some pants on? Let's cover it all the way to the ankles when we're out in the snow. But what if they see a gentleman? Well, they're all married. They got these wealthy businessmen. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. But I mean, they still have to look nice. Lady. They're married, representing their husbands when they're out and about. That's fact. Eventually, they made it to the end of the trail they were on, which ends in a dead end at St. Louis Canyon. And they went there specifically because there's a gorgeous waterfall that is there most of the time. And at this point, it it. was so cold that it was completely frozen. Nope. Completely. Lillian, I think we think was in charge of the camera because in addition to the falls, there's a lot of pictures of Mildred and Francis. And Mm. then um, because this was the dead end of that trail, we can only assume that when they were done, they turned around and went back for the mile walk back to the lodge. Meanwhile, Lillian's husband, George, had called the lodge that day to speak with Lillian because she had promised to call when she settled in and she still hadn't. A staff member told him that there was no answer on their door and guessed that the gals had just gone out. This was out of character for Lillian, but George reasoned there was nothing, there was no reason to worry and went to bed. Plus, he's still recovering from his heart attack. So, Oh, George. Yeah. That night, another snowstorm hit and dumped uh, about a half a foot of snow on Star uh, Rock State Park. Just a dusting. Uh-oh. Just a dusting. Mm-hmm. Another testing. Lillian did not call George in the morning like the staff member suggested she would. So now on Wednesday, March 16th, George called the lodge again looking for his wife and her friends. But staff told him again that the women weren't around, but that he would take the message. George was now officially worried. He hadn't heard from them in almost 40 hours. And he insisted vociferously that someone go to the room and actually open it. The employees eventually agreed, and what they found was that their luggage was still packed, likely had not ever been unpacked because it was on the beds, and they had supposedly been there for two nights at this point. Nothing was put away. There was no indication that there had been anything that went on there except what we know happened, which was after they checked in, they went and dropped their luggage off in the room. Hmm. Beds were unslept in. They also found that Francis's gray station wagon had not moved. It was parked in the same spot. And because it had snowed, they could tell that it hadn't right. left the spot. So they couldn't have been anywhere in town or in the park. George was shocked when he realized at this point that the women had been missing for over 40 hours, only based on when they were last seen by the employees after lunch. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. 
he collected himself and he called the director of the Chicago Crime Commission and his friend, Virgil Peterson. Hey, it's Virgil Peterson, eh? (laughs) There he is. Peterson then contacted state and and local police, and within literal minutes, LaSalle County Sheriff Ray Utsi began organizing search parties and participated himself. Local reporter Bill Danley was finishing up for the day when he heard news about the disappearance of three women. When he got to the park, he saw a boy just running towards another group of boys which he thought was an important detail. But when the boy got there, they were all yelling about bodies being found in the woods. And he noticed their uniforms from the Illinois Youth Commission Forestry Camp because he used to be a member. I used Uh to be in the forestry camp. (laughs) They were saying that they heard that three bodies were found on the trail. I don't know how, but the story goes he then called the lodge where the police were camped out and the newspaper to report the story. Within minutes, the story was national. Whoa, whoa. I know, 1960. In the 60s? 1960. As soon as he reported it to the newspaper, they have like the wire. You always hear like, yeah, whatever that bullshit is. It went out and everyone picked it up. Uh Quote from AmericanHauntingsInc.com. Danley was among those who entered St. Louis Canyon and got the first look at the bodies. The three mutilated women were lying side by side, partially covered with snow. They were on their backs under a small ledge and their lower clothing had been, had been torn away and their legs spread open. Each of them had been beaten viciously about the head and two of the bodies were tied together with a heavy white twine. They were Whoa. covered in mm-hmm, they were covered in blood, and their exposed legs were blackened with bruises. Not so an accidental an, death. <laughs> it wasn't an animal who got them. No, well, yeah, just like a human animal. State police arrived on the scene and began looking at the area, but absolutely everything was covered in snow. Luckily, or not, who knows, the snow was like a fine powder. They were able to gently brush the snow off of the surfaces that they could. Francis's camera was found about 10 feet away, which is how we still have That's those how pictures. That's pictures. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the leather case was covered in blood and the strap was missing. They also found the binoculars covered in blood. Interestingly, LaSalle County's State's attorney, Harlan Warren, was on site helping with the search. While he was there, he found a tree limb smeared with blood on the ground, and the snow underneath the branch was completely saturated. Law enforcement agreed this was most likely the murder weapon. There was also a considerable trail of blood, which led many to speculate that the women were not killed where they were found, but they were killed deeper in the canyon and dragged to where they were found on the rock ledge Mm. authorities were at the scene long into the night and they were waiting for pathologists and crime lab officials and the women were eventually removed from the site using cloth stretchers guided by lanterns the bodies were taken to a funeral home in ottawa illinois 
where they were autopsied. Really, they couldn't confirm much of anything. Obviously, there was blunt force trauma to the heads, to the body. Given the positioning of the body with with their legs open, they suspected they could have been raped, but there was no proof. There was nothing... There to say it for yeah. sure, they believe, but they were confident that sexual assault may have been involved in some way. It's hard to One, forensically prove or disprove, especially now at this time. The doctor was able to determine based on the stomach contents that they died very shortly after they ate lunch, likely after that la- those last pictures were taken at the frozen falls. They suspect it happened like immediately. Ugh, what a fucking bummer! What I a know. goddamn bummer! I miss. know. I know. Bummersville. Sorry. We're in Bummersville. We're recording on a Monday. We're in Bummersville. (laughs) And I've had a very fucking long day. Miss has had a very fucking long day, listener. (laughs) They were unable to establish any motive. They thought it could have been robbery, but they had watches on and they had jewelry. The running theory was that maybe somebody mistook the camera bag as a purse and tried to snatch it and the ladies fought back. But there's really nothing to say what happened. The investigation was stalled from the beginning. There were no leads, only wild theories that grew larger than life the longer the case went unsolved. One issue was the matter of jurisdiction. Again, from AmericanHauntings.inc, quote, State's Attorney Warren, a hardworking and respected official, was technically in charge, but the state police maintained their authority in the case because the murders were committed on park property. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The two law enforcement camps clashed but warren was in a bind he was forced to deal with state authorities because the officials in LaSalle county simply had no experience dealing with crimes of this manner i don't know why he didn't want to deal with them but he's a real rambo type we're gonna see so this was 1960 in illinois chicago might have been 90 miles away but 90 miles might as well have been a different universe People were terrified that crimes so brutal could happen in their backyard and police weren't giving them the answers they needed. People locked their doors for the first time. Stores sold out of deadbolts and guns. And the wow. starved Rock Lodge was almost completely vacant for months. Oof, but yeah, totally. Yeah. People are going mean, to be freaked out. I would, if I had a trip planned and this happened and then they, the person was still out there, I would not have gone. I would have canceled that trip. Regardless of whether there was new information, newspapers were not letting the story die. Oh, God, of course not. Only the story was now at a standstill in the investigation. Local women still dead. (laughs) Yeah, right. Harlan Warren doing what he could, but he's getting pressures from all sides, including budgetary concerns, because crimes like this didn't happen, so they didn't have a budget to deal with it if it did happen. So he's facing a lot of pressure and it was wearing him thin, even though he's not a detective or a law enforcement agent and shouldn't have been acting as such. He's essentially a pro he's a prosecutor. He's an elected official yeah. here. We have district attorneys. That's like the district attorney going out in the field and conducting investigations yeah it's not there are some places in the world where that is the case maybe it is in illinois if maybe well i don't know know, because if if television can be believed that's how it is in korea yeah i don't doubt that prosecutors like direct police kind of um 
Yeah. They're, they're like within police or within the prosecutorial hierarchy, but I don't know if it happens anywhere here. But this the, isn't these this United goes, States. We're going to hear how this goes beyond. Oh, it Little, sounds really fucking weird. It sounds really um, weird that this yeah. guy is just like vigilanteing. Yeah. At this point, they had polygraphed all of the guests and employees who were at the site that week. And they had nothing. They were months into the investigation and he sat down to look at what actual evidence was recovered from the scene. And besides the, the bodies themselves, camera, the binoculars, and the limb, the tree limb covered in blood, there was really only one thing that stuck out. And that was the twine yeah. that was used to bound two of the three women together. Yeah. What would any attorney do with this information? Buy a microscope and conduct an intense study on the different types and qualities of different types of twine, no, of course. Dude, dude, you're not a twine dude expert. Became an expert in twine. I mean, no, they got you got you got twine guys. You got duct tape people. You got people who are experts in these kinds of things. We really do. But here's the thing: almost there is not one part of this from start to finish that I could imagine standing up today. Even like, in like, our completely imperfect system that we have now, I can yeah. say confidently that almost none of this would stand up. Any defense attorney is going to be like, oh, you say you've matched this rope to my client, like rope found in my client's house. Who the fuck are you to match this rope? What do you know about rope? Where's your expert? Oh, you could, you got a microscope that doesn't you make did it you an yourself? expert. Like you mm -hmm. don't get to be a DIY forensic expert. Except he did. Jesus. He found eventually at the end of his intense study, there were two types of twine used to bind the woman. One is 12 ply and one was 20 ply. He's got a starting point now. What do I do with this? What can I find out about this twine? And to do that, he handpicks two sheriff's deputies that reported directly to him and not the sheriff or other law enforcement. This is all very weird. No, this yeah. is all very weird. They were Bill Dummett and Wayne Hess. Gotta have Bill and Wayne on the case. I handpicked <laughs> them. They're Bill and Wayne. My guys! Bill and Wayne! Look at these guys! Bill and Wayne's excellent adventure. Bill and Wayne's world. That's two references to mm -hmm. two different 90s properties. Well mm -hmm. done. So these three musketeers decided to start with the lodge where the women were last seen to get the scoop on some twine. Where's your twine? Where do you keep Show it? Show me your twine. Show Shoving me all of your twine. up against the, <laughs> the check-in desk. Where the fuck is your twine? Where do you keep your twine? They met with the lodge manager in the kitchen of the restaurant. And within minutes, Warren had found matches to both types of twine. Uh, I guess they're like wrapping turkeys and stuff. Yeah, that's what it said. It was like for food. Uh, it says like... Yeah, if you're like roasting chickens, yeah, roasting no, turkeys, you gotta tie normal. their little legs together. Mm -hmm. But also, Joe Schmo is has found matches for these twine. It's twine. You know? It's white twine. Okay. There, there's no way that it couldn't be anything but the exact same brand. No, he's not the expert. He's not he the, is expert. the expert. He's just a guy that has Bill and Wayne following him around. Legally, he was an expert. No. How? <laughs> he's not. 
1960. But he's not. But he's not an expert. I know. Now, because he's a twine expert, he managed to track down the specific manufacturer for this twine and determined that there was no doubt or question that the twine used in the murders was from that kitchen, leading him to confirm his belief that the perpetrator was an employee of the lodge. The twine is coming from inside the house, except like who the fuck knows? Who knows? He could be right. He could be wrong. He could be right, but he could be very wrong. Well, he's legally it's not correct. even it's not even that he like went to a twine sensei and was you are an expert what can on you twine. Say about what this can you twine? teach me about? Yeah. He just ye Decided. old YouTube. He there's not even YouTube. It's 1960. There's not he even YouTube. Purchased a microscope with his own money. Yeah, but what then it's just his untrained eye looking through a microscope at twine. That's How nothing. How dare you? How That's dare nothing. You? The problem with that theory is that all of the lodge's employees had been given polygraph tests and passed. And we know now polygraphs yeah. are useless, whatever. Yeah, but this is 1960, and it did matter at the time. Um, so he it's science. Ins- How could they lie? And polygraph tests were pretty new. I think. Were they in 1960? I think so. I feel like it was like the 30s or 40s. I want to say the guy who wrote the Wonder Woman comics was kind of involved in early development of polygraph tests. feels vaguely... In addition to loving to be domed by his wife and his girlfriend. Hey-oh! Because he was already a self-taught twine expert... He thought there was something wrong with the tests if everyone passed. So he hired a private polygraph specialist and every person employed at the time of the murders was polygraphed again, mm-hmm. including dishwasher Chester Otto Wager. Chester Wager was 21 at the time. He was working at the lodge. He was married and had two young kids and he was a Korean War vet. Can we stop for a second and say that that man was 21 and he was with married kids. with kids and a vet? Jesus. No, that's a hard 21. That's a really tough 21. People, that's a 21. We, we have a string. We have a trend on this podcast of sad, pathetic autos. So, uh-huh. yeah. I worry for this yeah. Chester Auto Wager because. We got a, a, a twine freak over here <laughs> that well, double polygraphed everybody because, of course, he couldn't have been mm-hmm. wrong about the twine. Double is so not the amount of times this man gets polygraphed. Jesus, miss. Otto, Chester Otto. We got to find you an attic, buddy. I know, right? So at some point after the murders were committed, he left the lodge and went and started a a painting business with his father. He was described as quiet, handsome, tall, and thin. And he kind of just kept to himself. He was just kind of in, you know, the background. In the months after the discovery of the bodies, Chester had been interviewed twice and taken a polygraph both times and passed both times. Chester, who did not have an attorney, helpfully of course provided... He didn't. Uh, it's before Gideon versus Wainwright, so we don't have the right to... Attorneys here, unless you can afford it. 
Yeah, listener, like... Well, no, he get he eventually will get an appointed attorney. But okay. you'll see. I hate this. He didn't have an attorney, but he helpfully provided Warren with the clothing he was wearing the day and night in question, the murders. Oh, Chester, don't give them anything. Just don't give them anything. Including a buckskin jacket with a dark stain? No, Chester. Testing determined that it was, in fact, human blood... But because it was 1960, that was the only information that could be gleaned. They couldn't tell blood type. They couldn't tell gender. They couldn't tell anything except that it was not anything except human blood. So post-Twine discovery, Chester was picked up by Deputy Dumit and driven to Chicago to undergo a third polygraph with a private polygrapher. He was interrogated throughout the day and then he took another polygraph test. The examiner went to talk to Hmm. Warren after the last one. His face had gone pale and he quietly said, that's your man. Come on. Drummett told uh, Chester that he had failed the polygraph and pressured Chester to admit to his guilt. But Chester maintained his innocence. Yeah, and of course, like, Polygraph tests judge your physiological reactions, right. specifically stressful ones. Your and he had been interrogated rate. all been day. Interrogated this is the all fucking day. This is the fourth polygraph. Everybody's he knows that he's in big big trub trub. Come on. Yep. On the way, on the drive back from Chicago, Drummond allegedly threatened Chester with the electric chair if he didn't sign a confession. But Chester Chester was stalwart. He did not back down. Through interviews with other employees, the investigators later heard that the day after the murders, Chester came into work with scratches on his face. He's also got two kids at home, so. Deputy Drummond was also busy, and this time he was looking for similar crimes in the area that had gone unsolved. It's got to be a serial. I know it is. They didn't even have that word in 1960. They're all they're all looking. They're all looking for like this is the big thing. This is the big mm-hmm. monster death man. Yeah, Ugh, whatever. He found a 1959, so the year before, an unsolved rape and robbery of a young woman nearby in Ottawa. Dummett contacted the woman to see if she'd be willing to look at a photo lineup. She said, okay. And she was given a stack of photos when she saw a photo of her attacker. She screamed bloody murder and it was Chester Wegger. Allegedly Hmm. for Warren. This was his slam dunk that he was looking for. Now, more than ever, Warren was convinced that he had his man. So he went out and arrested Chester, right? No, not exactly. What did he do? See, Harlan Warren was in a microscope. No, worse. He was an elected official and it was an election year. At this point in the investigation, it was about September the murders had happened in March. Oh my God. And so November, and Warren, he waited until November. Warren had been spending all of his time on the investigation and not on his campaign. He worried that if he went out and arrested Chester now, defense attorneys would successfully be able to argue that he only did so for the political points. 
And so he didn't do so for the political points. Exactly. Instead, he kept Chester and his family under 24-hour surveillance by the Illinois State Police. Great use of taxpayer dollars. That seems odd. (laughs) Kevin, that was, you just reminded me of Mr. Fish (laughs) Oats. Really? That was kind of a very Kevin (laughs) Klein-ish delivery. That seems odd. Bob. (laughs) Come down to the Wonder Wharf. This is like late September, um, but luck wasn't on his side. He lost by 3,500 votes as his opponent's main, what do you call it, stump speech or whatever, was highly charged about... Warren bungling the investigation and having not arrested anybody. But did Warren so he tell probably, the about his microscope? And no, but line? he probably would have won if he would have arrested Chester in September. Anyway, he was really disappointed, but he realized even though he lost the election, he's still got time for justice before he has to leave office. Oh my God. He's got till January. The clock is ticking. That's right. So less than two weeks later, on November 16th, Chester Wager was arrested. Warren knew that the lack of physical evidence was hurting the case. Sure, he had the jacket. Sure, it had human blood on it. But he wasn't stupid enough to think that that was going to be enough. What he really needed was a confession. The I don't year like this. is 1960. And Edie, you touched on it. This is before Gideon v. Wainwright, which gives you the right to an attorney. But it is also fucking before Miranda. Meaning, in Illinois, you did not have a right to have your your rights read to you. Police did not have to, and they certainly did not. Whether he knew it or not, he was not told that he had a right to an attorney or that he had the right to silence or anything else. According to Chester, he was repeatedly told that if he did not confess, he was going to, quote, ride the thunderbolt, a.k.a. get the electric chair. Ride the thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. It's very kind of sexual. They said it over and over and over again. Dummit and Hess had a good cop, bad cop routine going on. Obviously, Dummit, if you look at him, he's kind of a big galoot. He was playing the bad cop. And in the HBO documentary... The murders at Starved Rock, some of his contemporaries were like, yeah, he was just that way. He was, that's just how police were in 1960. That is how police were. I mean, they're not In 1960, 70, 80, 90s, and today. All the hits. Sure. But today we pretend it doesn't happen because we have these cases. Exactly. We pretend. Chester also claimed that Deputy Dummett had a gun against his temple the entire time. Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. Look, that's coercive. Is it? Not in 1960. It should, should be, should be coercive with a gun against your head. It should be coercive. Again, his contemporary, again, his contemporaries uh, said that they are not surprised if that was true. Jesus. This interrogation- he's a real, he's a real Elliot Stabler, isn't he? Yeah. This interrogation went on for over 24 hours without a break, without food, and without sleep. So what do we think happened? At this point, Chester had been, Chester was exhausted. It had been six months. He had been interviewed countless times. He had taken five-ish polygraph tests. He and his family had been under constant surveillance by the state police. So 
Shortly after 2 a.m., Chester stopped mid-sentence and asked if he could see his family. Deputies arranged, they went out and they picked up his parents and his wife, and they left him alone for a few minutes. And when they left, Chester signed Dummett's confession. Quote, when Bill stepped out of the back room in the state's attorney's office to show Mr. and Mrs. Wigger out the door so they could go home, I could see that something was bothering Chester. I said, Chester, why don't you just tell me about it? There, why don't you just tell me about it? There are just the two of us here. Just tell me about it. He said, all right, I did it. I got scared. I tried to grab their pocketbook and, and they fought and I hit them. Yeah, of course he said it. Of course he said it. The next day, he signed a very detailed, updated, amended confession. Not written by him, I'm sure. I don't know for sure, but I don't think so. That's the way it sounds anyway. In the next two days, Chester would confess multiple times, and he would tell the story over and over again. He even went out to the scene and reenacted the murders for the police oh, to match man. the confession. Yeah. The detail that sealed his fate was that he reported that while he was out there committing the murders, he looked up and saw a small red private airplane flying overhead and local records confirmed that a red plane was flying over the area where and when the murders occurred. He says later that Dummett fed him that information. Yeah. But it was corroborated. It could have been. Or he could have been outside some other time. You know, or, yeah. out, or outside some other place at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they say that this is important because it explains why the bodies were in two different places. So why they were murdered in one place and dragged away. He said it was because he could see the plane and didn't want them to be found. Hmm. So two days later, Chester met with his court-appointed attorney for the first time and immediately recanted his confessions. He explained the threats of the electric chair. He was physically beaten and he had a gun to his head and lack of sleep. And it allowed him to be coerced into giving a false confession. And again, Dummett fed him the information that he otherwise could not have known. It didn't matter. The damage was done. Mm -hmm. Because it was 1960, courts moved fast and the trial began on January 20th, 1961. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Less than two months. Whoa. And for a triple murder. No. You'll see. What? And was spearheaded by the new state's attorney, Richardson, and prosecutor Anthony Raculia, who, oddly enough, his son is who created and produced the HBO documentary purporting Chester's innocence. Whoa. Yeah. That's a that's a solid fuck you, Dad. That is a yeah. very solid a real fuck you, Dad. Would yep. that we all could make a documentary. I mean, his father about is how in it too. Dad sucks. Like he interviews his dad in the documentary. Like neither of whom ever tried a murder case. Neither prosecutor had ever tried a murder case. Chester was only charged with the murder of one of the victims. I couldn't find which one because they said if he was found not guilty, they could try him for the other two. The, wait, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just such a weird. Mm-hmm. That's just so. That's just so weird. That's just so weird. But okay, and, that's mm-hmm. after 
two months of trial, Chester Wigger was found guilty of first-degree murder on March 4th, 1961, the day of his 22nd birthday, and he oh. was sentenced to life. Oh. He was incarcerated from 1960 to 2020. Jesus. And he was the, and he was the longest-serving inmate in Illinois. He was denied parole dozens of times after he was technically eligible in 1972. Yeah, that, that seems... So because wild. he refused to admit culpability. Oh my refused god! Refused to say he did it. Yeah. In tw- in two thousand November two thousand nineteen, his parole was granted, and he was released in twenty twenty for good behavior. For fucking he said he- sixty years of good behavior. Yeah, literally sixty years. Jesus Christ! His entire fucking life. He's in his eighties. Yeah, he was born in nineteen thirty nine. Jesus Christ. And he spent 60 years in jail. He said he'd rather die in jail than admit to something he didn't do. Chester maintains his innocence to this day. I believe him. Um, He was released to a halfway house for elderly offenders in 2020. Mm. He appears to still be there now. So there are numerous factors that count that cast doubt on his confession, including there's no physical evidence linking Chester, but there was physical evidence pointing to someone else. Mm. A blonde hair was found on Frances Murphy's thing, the finger of her glove. And it was examined and it was, even though Chester had blonde hair, it was too different to say that it was a match. Black hairs were found on the palm of Lillian Oding. Chester did not have black hair. So if Chester was involved, there was likely to be more than one person because it didn't match the ladies either. Numerous fibers and hairs were collected and analyzed and relied on in the investigation, but were never introduced at trial. The scene highly suggests that there was at least two perpetrators. Chester, it's Chester was five, eight and not like a big, strong man. He was willowy. He was a thin guy and it is improbable that he without a weapon was able to surprise attack and kill three women without anyone noticing that's what people say and the fact that by the time chester failed a polygraph he had already passed two twice and there was no reason to give him right and when he failed he failed clearly having gone through an enormous Mm -hmm. amount of stress there was that unrelated sexual assault victim Mm -hmm. who picked his photo out Mm a that's a year or so after it happens b even if he did do that it does not follow that he did this it does not mean he murdered anyone especially here since they really couldn't even say that they were definitively sexually assaulted but that's technically the only link between the crimes Chester's confession is implausible on its face because his main motivation that he stated multiple times in the confession was that the motive was robbery. When the bodies were found, the women still had on their watches, their jewelry, all their stuff. Yeah. And then in 2006, an affidavit was uncovered detailing a deathbed confession from 1982 taken from an elderly woman by Sergeant Mark Gibson. The woman explained she needed to clear her conscience before she died. She told the officer a story of that day. She didn't remember everything, but said that things got out of hand and that she helped drag the bodies to where they were eventually found. 
The confession um, was cut short before any details were gathered because the woman's daughter showed up and said she was not of sound mind. Hmm. And then finally, decades after his conviction, before he was released, a juror told the Chicago Tribune that she found Chester's confession implausible at the time of trial. And you could have held out. You could have held out, juror. You should have. Uh, it's, so it's it's hard. It's hard to it be is, able to hold out. People is. will fucking scream at you in that room. They will fucking. It is. It can it's be really attempt. hard to hold out as a juror. It is. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's the story of Lillian and Mildred and Francis and their horrible death and the likely, if not innocence of Chester, the unproven guilt of Chester may have happened in court in 1960. But again, every commentator, every lawyer who wrote an article about this or whatever said that there is no chance of conviction for this man. If it was 2003. No, no fucking way. Yeah. That's oh yeah. Jesus. Star rocked murders. Everything. Thank you, miss. Oh yeah. You what are. a fucking bummer, miss. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while Super since bummer. I had a good bummer. Yeah, we haven't really trudged through Bummersville in a while. So mm-hmm. thank you on this Monday evening <laughs> record for just like <laughs> absolutely rocketing us to Bummersville. I hope you Indeed. can sleep easy. <laughs> Kevin. Hello. How about we turn this car around? <laughs> yeah i will end with a lovely palate cleanser of Ugh. yeah because i'm on location this week i'm at the beach like i said uh-huh. i'm in, i'm, I'm rocking rehoboth beach and because of this i figured i'd give some research to see if there's any local spoops in the area so we could talk about it Ooh, so, fun we got an on yeah, location was- spoop Exactly, and I'm entitling this Local Haunts, Rehoboth Beach, and Lewis, Delaware. Cute! Cute! Not lose. If you say lose, people will yell at you even though it's spelled lose. It's, yeah, it's spelled L-E-W-E-S. It is Lewis. It is I a person's name. I would have absolutely said lose. Yeah, well, <laughs> people like in so Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Directly next door to Rehoboth Beach is Lewis. And Lewis refers to himself as the first town in the first state because it was the site of the first European settlement in Delaware when Mm -hmm. Dutch settlers founded a whaling and trading post in the year 1631. That must have been a stinky ass town. I don't think the Dutch get enough credit for being the colonizers that they were. Like, they obviously really get a pass, didn't they? They, they do. The books and the clogs really, like, cutify them. Yeah. The and two, I think mm-hmm, they pulled mm-hmm. out earlier, so they get the benefit of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they were there, and they you did it. Belgium gets a pass, too. Most of and them Swedes. get a pass. Yeah. And Swedes. You know what? And we're France, coming for all France. you European We're going to come for them all. Look at, but look today, at we're going to be on the Dutch settlers. We're going to be on their asses for a bit. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so they, they settled in 1631. They named it Zwanendel, which is uh, Dutch for Swan Valley. Cute. The colony of about 32 had a short existence, though, because <laughs> a local tribe of indigenous Lenape people murdered all of them the next year. Uh, the atrocities mm-hmm. are in blue. Okay. The atrocities are in blue, Pawnee facts. 
After that, Amsterdam rather neglected this area for about 30 years, but under threat of annexation from the colony of Maryland in 1662, Amsterdam ever heard of her. Uh, In 1662, Amsterdam granted the land to a group of Mennonites to resettle it. And so they did. 41 people sailed to New Netherland, and their settlement was established in 1663. But like the previous colony, it only lasted a year, but not because of indigenous revolt. This time, it was because the British captured them (laughs) (laughs) and took over. Whoops, this is what we're good at. The Brits cleared house and they raised that entire Dutch settlement. They're like, nope. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Daddy's home. <laughs> Daddy's home. Exactly. <laughs> and of course, it eventually became the U.S. state of Delaware, yada, yada. But it's been a bunch of white nonsense ever since. It always is. Case in point, last night, Biden was in town because he has a summer home here. And there was a fucking motorcade. And it was... So annoying because this place isn't big. (laughs) Do you understand? I lived in Wilmington during the 2020 election race and he had a home 10 minutes away from me. So every fucking day I got stuck Mm -hmm. in the fucking Biden motorcade. That's very fair. That's very Delaware fair. is a very small state. Why with couldn't one he have city? taken the Amtrak if he loves it so much? Yeah, it's he should just take the Amtrak. That was just some of the white nonsense that happens here. But uh, let's start things off in Lewis, shall we? We shall. The first town in the first state. And so we're going to start there because in its limits is a house that boasts the title of the oldest standing house in Delaware. It's known as the Reeves Holt House. Its original 1665 foundation remains. Mm. And it's also rumored to be haunted AF. Yes. It better be. It better honestly, be. Honestly, it better be. <laughs> like, honestly, the evidence isn't that convincing, okay. but we're going to go through it. Oh, it's absolutely haunted. I've already decided. <laughs> the building was one of, if not probably the earliest inn in the region. And at that mm. time in colonial life, inns and taverns were essential hubs. And the Reese Hold House often served as a post office, as a courthouse. It was a meeting space. It was a restaurant. It, it encompassed a lot of things for colonial life. Yeah. Never forget the Salem witch trials were conducted it at a tavern. It was a water park. It was a Chipotle. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. a fondue restaurant. It was a Williams Sonoma. And then a Crate and Barrel took it over and it was really awkward. <laughs> it was an acupuncturist. <laughs> The building has worn many, many hats in the intervening 358 years. Jesus. Just as a side note, it didn't get its name until the 1720s. Mm. And that's when, after coming to the Port Louis in 1721, Reeves Holt, who ends up being the first chief justice of Sussex County, saw the land and liked the house and purchased it. Mm-hmm. But inside the house... Perhaps it's merely a rumor, but there is a word that a woman was murdered in the Reeves Hold House. The Lewis Historical Society has said there's no evidence that this ever occurred, but that's exactly what we'd expect them to say, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the victim of the rumored murder would 
probably also be speculative at this point, but let's just say there's been uh, a noticeable presence in there felt by some of the employees. Okay. Par exemple, according to one of the docents, one time a general contractor was working in the basement of the house and the man left tools scattered about at the worksite and he walks upstairs at the end of his day, locks the basement door and whatever. Upon his return in the morning, the door was ajar and all of his tools had been gathered and placed carefully in order in some kind of weird order in the basement. <gasps> so someone came in and organized his shit for him? No, it was a ghost, miss. What do you mean? Hello, I'm an Can a ghost come up here and organize ghost? my shit for me? I'd love it. Then I wouldn't even have to that talk would be to him. Great. It's ideal. I'm an ancient Dutch ghost and I've rearranged. <laughs> Your Why is he tool. gold member? Because I think gold member is supposed to be Dutch. He is supposed to be Dutch. Yes, I just wanted to make sure. I like yeah. tools. <laughs> I like ghosts. There she goes. That contractor, he was baffled to say the least, but but sure. nevertheless, he persisted, oh, and God. he just kept on doing his job. He did the same thing uh, at the end of the day. He left his stuff out locked the door, went home. When he came back the next morning, the same thing occurred. Hello again, it's me, ghost member. I've put your tools out again. So rude. The rudeness. Mm -hmm. My goodness. And so very upset. He finished the job that day, but then he went and nailed the basement door shut because he didn't want anyone else opening up those doors. I put my tools. And the legend goes that when he returned... That following morning, to his astonishment, Mm -hmm. the door was wide open and the nails were missing from the doorframe and were never found. (gasps) Whoa! I almost couldn't get out of the basement. Was it a spirit with a ghostly gripe against nails and hammers? Yes. Who knows? Who knows? Some say that that spirit is... That of a woman named Sarah, who was the wife of one of the previous owners, whose name was Philip Russell. So some people think it might be Sarah Russell. And while it is known that she did not die in the house, it could maybe make sense that if she were to remain in the house, you know, she had a deep connection with it. You know, she probably raised her kids there. I don't know. But some or people think it's Sarah. Hide? says you can't haunt a place you didn't die i mean ryan yes. murphy set some rules in ahs hotel you gotta be there at rules. the hotel and oh. in murder house and in murder house you got you gotta be there you gotta yeah. be there she was she was there she nicole kidman there. and the others she was there spoiler was alert there for the, the others it was 20 years ago get over it get over it so that's the Reeves House. It is owned by the Lewis Historical Society, and they do do tours, so you can go in there. It's it's lovely. Uh, Historic Lewis is quite nice, and I enjoy it. Cute. <laughs> Long before a white man ever laid eyes on this land, mm-hmm. the indigenous Lenape tribe dominated the region, which encompasses what we know of now as the state of Delaware. And they have a rich and storied mythology. They have a lot of beautiful stories. I was reading a story about how fire came about. And it's 
I may get this wrong, but I believe the story is it starts out as a rainbow crow who has a beautiful voice, but I'm into it. Something happens where fire starts and it that it gets singed and that's why it's black and um, because of the smoke and inhaling it got a really uh, hoarse voice and like call. Cool. <laughs> okay, that sounds exactly like, a, like that. That sounds like a ghost, not a bird. <laughs> the Lenape people had so many stories, um, and they had a lot of stories about monsters and creepy things, of course, as well. And a lot of their mythology and lore has a lot of similarities shared with other tribes. For example, uh, the Lenape people speak of a man-eating ice giant called a mahue. Okay. And it sounds much like a Wendigo. Oh, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Wendigos are more traditional to the Ojibwe and Cree tribes, mm-hmm. but they share very similar things. Um, but for the Lenape people, not many tales of Mahue were ever recorded. Mm. But like the Wendigo, Mahue were, uh, was a fearsome monster and it was associated with starvation and cannibalism. Mm. Fine. And like a person who was driven to either madness or, or starvation, if ah, they were to be tempted to <laughs> if they were <laughs> tempted to taste human flesh. Don't eat people. You'll turn into an ice giant. And nobody wants that. I don't. But some people I do. I hate the heat. Oh, okay. Well. Wow. You, you heard, heard it here people. first, listener. We should have canceled her when we cancel me pro cannibalism. Okay, miss. no, no, I'm not pro cannibalism. miss. I am pro being an ice monster. Yeah, but you can't be an ice monster unless you eat some human flesh. That is correct. What are you an expert? So, are you an expert now? Yeah, Eating I bought a microscope. microscope. And I looked at the twine. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You're a twine expert, <laughs> and. A Mahue expert. <laughs> I am as much a Mahue expert as that guy is a twine expert. Exactly. Uh, but those are just some of some creepy stories that I have I've researched about the area that I am currently partaking in my vacating of my current life. I was thinking about that <laughs> word earlier, vacation. It's not like you go somewhere to relax vacation means I'm vacating myself from my current situation. Yeah. Don't I'm talk escaping. to me on my vacation. I'm escaping I vacated my, my work. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a temporary refugee every from time, my own existence. So every time I leave work, I'm just going to say I'm vacating my work. I'm vacating now. And some I'm people vacating. may think you're about to shit your pants, but. You're vacating, vacating. your bowels. <laughs> yeah, you wish. Pervs. Wow, but I haven't gotten sunburned yet. But the week is, is young. Quite a Time feat. will tell. And it the is week Monday. is young. It is the week is young, and you are fair. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. But right now, we also have a Swede uh, in our uh, Airbnb. One of our friends is Swedish, so oh, a Swede. They're <laughs> very susceptible, of course. So what about this, <laughs> y'all? Are I know. Be... I'm like, if you can see blue veins. 
then you need to stay out of the you sunlight. Can, you can see 17 blue veins on this wrist. I can see as clear as and day this on this is, webcam. This is very dull yellow lighting. So imagine yep. if it was daytime. <laughs> Y'all are going to be pink and crispy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if I do, I will uh, update everyone on the status of it. I already did Please. have to make sure I took off my iWatch because um, you can't really uh-huh. see it right now. Oh, but... no, I can. You've got a tan. You've got a tan line going. You yeah. Can't... So I was like, I need to get that oh taken God, care of. Oh, my God. How embarrassing. You don't want to be Apple Watch tan guy? Tan line. <laughs> Kevin, you and I should get a spray tan if we reach a certain amount of listeners so they can laugh at us and we can post it oh on my God. For, I'll... For, for them. I'll True. enter that bet. True story. Yeah. What the goal would be is what past. we have to figure out. We have to figure out the goal. If we hit that goal, the palest people on the face of the planet will get a shitty spray tan just for you guys. Uh-oh. True oh, story shit. from Edie's past. Picture it, Los Angeles, 2013. I was- a friend of mine roped me into doing a bodybuilding competition. This was back when your <laughs> yep. Uncle Edie was a much trimmer person. Kevin was there. I sure was. That was a wild experience, Edie. If that was our wild. friends and family did not come to see us, we would have left that competition. We <laughs> were so upset. <laughs> Because it was legit bodybuilders on the stage. Like professional bodybuilders? I mean, like amateur, but they were like really serious about it. They were juiced up. They were juiced to the gills. It is Los Angeles. It's Los Angeles. And we thought that we had spray tanned the fuck out of ourselves. We like, we, uh, I think. You smelled awful. We smelled terrible. You always smell like a bag of onions. I think we really messed up my friend's bathroom with like stains and stuff. I think that she didn't get her security deposit back. Yeah, so we happen. thought that we had spray tanned the shit out of ourselves. We get there, we it's like we didn't do it at all. It's like we yeah, did it not looks do like it our wrists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they looked. The other people looked, looked like crispy. bronze statues. Mm-hmm. There they were like a, there were roasted chicken <laughs> paint rollers dipped. Yep. In tan, yep. going up and down some abs and pecs. It was very I'm fucking weird. People weren't just like airbrushing like they do. They were. They were doing that yeah. too. They were doing yeah. all of it. Miss, they were doing all of it. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're gonna have to think of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be good if we did like a certain amount of reviews or rating. Mm. Oh, that's true. If we were able to collect. Yeah, we'll figure that out. I like that. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, Edie, how did you feel being the audience this week? Well, at first, oh, yeah. extremely <laughs> angry and bummed out. You're welcome. And more determined than ever to get stupider than Cabbage Patch Kids. <gasps> stupider <laughs> than Battlefield Earth. Stupider than Mars 2112 for next week. I don't know if I'll make it happen, but we're going to the fun oh. zone next week for sure. With oh, my, my oh nice. we're going to be going to the fun zone with my true crime too. Wait, we're gonna is have this the one time. you like texted about like two weeks yes. ago that you were excited about? Yes. Oh, yes. This one's been, Kevin this one's is the been opposite. Kevin is the opposite of Uncle Edie and Uncle Miss in that he does things beforehand. This week, I will say my story was done because I had a busy weekend. But it You're is not like podcasting if you're not <laughs> freaking out about it the morning of. 
Kat, thanks for your spoop. It was delightful. It was so good. I love the local. If if anybody has any of their own little local stories or ghosties or cryptids or whatever, you could feel free to send them to us at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com. Or you mm-hmm. could let us know on our Instagram at creepyinquiriespod. If you're interested, you could also hit up our website for our sources. Like I said before, maybe give us a cute little rate and review. There might be something in it for you. And we really appreciate it. And it's helpful for us. Five stars or I will assume the form of an ancient Dutch ghost and follow you around doing a gold member impression. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. It sounds terrible. Just just go give us a cute little review. Just, yeah, please. The five stars will do, y'all. Yeah. I like gold. Oh, God, Edie. <laughs> oh, God. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this episode 87, the Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy-aged episode. He's 87. They serve for life. And until mm. next time, good. good.